You wanted the best. You've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. We've got an excellent author today. Of course, we always have excellent authors, all the best people, the smartest minds, and the best books. Uh, but what you should do is refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives. You tell them to go to thecvpn.com, Chris Voss Podcast Network. You can see all nine podcasts there. So you can subscribe to the podcast you want. Of course, our flagship is the Chris Voss Show. You can see the video version of this conversation at youtube.com forward slash Chris Voss and hit that bell notification so you can get all the notifications uh, there that you want. Uh, if you know, We've had so many great authors on the Chris Voss Show. We've actually put them onto an Amazon shop, so you can easily go there and peruse all the great authors and be like, yeah, I like that one, I like that one, and order their books. You can go to Amazon.com forward slash shop forward slash Chris Voss. Today, we have the brilliant author, Daniel Cohen, and he's written this a book called The Infinite Desire for Growth. And this thing's pretty important. Uh, he is the director of the economics department at Ecole Normale uh, Supérieure in Paris. That's my best French I can do there. And a founding member of the Paris School of Economics. He's a former advisor to the World Bank. Cohn was made a Chevalier of the Legion of Honor in 2001. His many books include Globalization and Its Enemies, and the prosperity of vice. Welcome to the show. How are you, Daniel? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for your invitation. Awesome sauce. We're it's good to it's good to talk to someone outside of America for a change. We've had a lot of American authors, and it's good to talk to someone in France because our country's kind of a little weird right now. But uh, give us a give us a rundown on your book, uh, why you decided to write it, and kind of a brief overview, if you would, of what the book is about. Well, thank you for this opportunity. Well, it's as the title says, this is a book about this desire that we have to grow, to get richer all the time. And of course, this question is all the more important that we know that we have a climate change, that perhaps we need to change course with respect to perpetual growth. So I was really you know, interested in trying to understand where is this eagerness to grow coming from, if only because we need to understand why is it that we are so obsessive about growing all the time. There's, there is a parallel in the history of humanity, and the book starts with that between two periods of, of time, which are usually opposed, and I'm trying to explain that they are more similar than in seems. For a very long time, people were working in the fields, they were peasants or agriculture, working in agriculture, and, and there was a sort of curse on humanity, which was that people, or wherever they would till the ground, would always be you know, in search for more food, if, if only for a simple reason, which is that population growth was always extending the need to get further. We had something which was called a Malthusian trap, by which if you had some opportunity to, to get fed better because you discover new lands, 
immediately a process would be set in motion with more children coming. And in the end, you would starve as much at the end as you would starve at the beginning. So the history of humanity since the beginning of, let's say, uh, the agricultural age 10,000 years ago has been a perpetual march towards famine. We, you, would, you would never get enough food. And, and the reason which was not understood is because when things were getting better, less children would die, you would have more children, and in the end, there would always be overpopulation. We've moved away from this world in the 18th, 19th century, and we entered into a world where economic growth really started. But something of the same kind started, which is called in the economic literature, the Easterlin paradox, which is the more you had and the more you want, something of the same ilk as the old world, which is that you're never happy. And there is a famous thing in the economic literature, which is you can be as rich as you want. The level of frustration, the desire to be richer is never saturated. In fact, it is exactly the same as before. So the same way the old societies would not understand this Malthusian trap, the same way our modern societies fail to understand why is it that being richer does not seem to saturate our eagerness to get richer. So I think the book is about trying to put this question on the table, offer some suggestions, if only because we need to understand what is driving or, you know, desire for growth, because again, the climate change makes it important that we understand what it is that we always want to get richer in the face of a finite world, as simple as that. Awesome. So does the book basically deal with uh, food, famine, and, uh, you know, desire for growth, population, or does it encompass all different things? Like here in America, we have what I would call, and a lot of books call rampant, uh, out of control consumerism and capitalism, where everything is so for profit. It's just it, we don't care who dies, you know, who gets left behind. If you're familiar with uh, America's uh, uh, broken healthcare system, um, it's all it's all about money. Like, uh, oh, you're you're gonna die. You've got health problems in countries like yours and others in Europe. You know, you guys have a different attitude towards people that are sick and 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 feel free to care for them. But here in America, it's like, unless you got money, screw you. No, exactly. Before it was the only thing that you care is food. Today, the only thing that you care is money. So the book is really about the modern age. I start with a parallel on on the old societies, but the book is really about our our modern societies. And and it's exactly the way you describe that is is money is an end in itself and it, it never saturates a need to, to a, a good life. And, 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 of course, drawing on the big literature that the economists have developed, I try to set up you know, a few explanations as to why we always want more. There's one explanation, which is simply, I would say, the, the human species, which is that we are brain-wired in order to be always alerted to changes. That is the reason why we survive among, you know, competing species is because we have a a way of adapting ourselves to our environment, which is extraordinary. If you take, you know, an elephant from from, from Africa and you bring it to France, it dies. And we've moved, we've traveled and always adapted ourselves. So we have an ability to adapt ourselves which makes that if you become richer, 
these become very rapidly, you know, a, a starting point. You forget where you come from. So this ability of adaptation means that we are very sensitive to changes, which is why this is one of the topics of the book. It is not wealth in itself that matters to make us happy, but it is the increase in wealth, the change in wealth, uh, in, in other words, economic growth. So it's not wealth that we want. It's not money that we want. It is, in effect, more money, more wealth. We want economic growth. And when growth disappears, when growth goes down, we become very unhappy. And this is what happened for a lot of people in the U.S. over the past 30 years. The, the, the ability to get richer has been lost, and this creates a lot of despair. Now, the other reason is that... Uh, Humanity is, is always is made in such a way that we never exist by, by ourselves. We are always comparing ourselves to other people. We live among other people. We drive our desire from what other people desire. You know, the old philosopher uh, Egger in, in, in Germany would say, what we, we dr- what we really want is a desire of the desire of the other people. We want to be desired by other people. And that's what's driving a lot of comparison. So the fact that you are rich doesn't mean anything. What you want is to be richer, richer mm. than your neighbor. So if your neighbor starts being rich and you are beyond, you are very unhappy, even though you may increase yourself. So these two facets, I think, explain why the modern world appease the social tension by the promise given to everyone that they will get richer. If this promise is broken, as it is in the Western world for many people, then the fabric of society breaks down and, and there is uh, you know, an interpretation along the line of the rise of populism as the fact that a lot of people are very unhappy with the political system because they feel betrayed by the fact that this promise uh, has been broken. Mm. And so that creates, you know, I mean, we've, we saw that in the rise of Germany and different places with fascism and authoritarianism. The more poor people are, the more broken things there are, the more they turn to extreme politicians. And then, you know, down the rabbit hole, we go of hell. Um, so it, it, it uh, uh, I know that, it, I know that there was, uh, it's interesting you talk about the fear of missing out. Like in, in America, I don't know if you have a saying like this in France, but in America, we have a saying called keeping up with the Joneses. Exactly that. Okay. That's so, exactly. yeah. And uh, I, I remember there was a time where I was, when I got my first house and I was filling it with crap and, you know, our business was successful where you had lots of money. Uh, and, but I was, you know, I was filling it, you know, I was, I was like, I gotta put uh, something over there and something over here. And I, I started getting really insecure if I didn't go to the mall every weekend to buy something. Like I, I would have this weird feeling like I, I you know, I'd be like, Hey, I want to stay home this weekend and just chill. And, and there would be this insecurity in me that'd be like, you gotta go, you gotta go buy some stuff. And I almost, I almost sought help over it Cause I'm like, why the hell is this such an issue for me? Um, did you ever see the movie Fight Club with no, Brad Pitt? I, mean, I, I don't see where, where there's been the translation in France. No, I have not. Okay. Uh, there was a movie, uh, a cinema called Fight Club, and it starred Brad Pitt and Ned Norton. And one of the lines from the movie is, is uh, and let me see if I can remember correctly, the line from the movie is, 
we buy stuff to impress people who don't give a shit. Like, you know, like I buy a, a really nice BMW car to impress everyone and they don't really care because they're like, well, f- screw you. That's your car. I don't care. Um, and, and so that's what you're talking about in the book is, is this fear of missing out, this fear of whatever that drives this consumerism where, you know, we, you know, we, we strip the, the rainforest, we strip resources and materials, and then we wonder why our fish are polluted. There's high mercury, you know, our skies are polluted and everything else, right? Exactly. It's, it's exactly. So there's a perfect summary of what's going on. And, and you know, for, for a long time, it didn't really matter. After all, that was a way of going on collectively. Uh, and, and even though we, f- we fail to understand exactly what you, what you said about this, this movie, which is that we're doing things which are useless to a large extent. You know, if, if I'm happy, you know, driving a car because I like that and, uh, you know, I would be alone in the desert and I would still want the car because that's what I like, speed, you know, go for it, of course. Uh, but if this is simply because we try to, to get the attention of the other guy without seeing that in reality we are antagonizing the other guy because he, he feels like it's a war declaration. And if we simply we could talk to the guy and say, you know, if I have a car, what, what do you do? He'd say, I'll buy a bigger car. So, and, and, and if you could simply talk and say, why don't we agree not to buy this car? And, you know, you would have peace. This is you really you're keeping up with the Jones, uh, you know, phenomena. Maybe we would understand things which would not derail the DNV of doing more things to go in certain direction. But perhaps there would be a lot of useless stuff that we do that we, you know, that would give us time for doing more interesting things. But, you know, I started with this Malthusian trap of world population. I think people, I mean, at least this is one interpretation that many people would say, fail to understand that by having children, other people would also have children, and that in the end, the, the earth would always be overcrowded. And if simply you could say, why don't we move from 10 children, which was the norm at the time, to two or three, as it is today, people would have seen that they can, you know, live better. So it's terrible to say that less children may mean, you know, a happier life, which is eventually what we did. We have much fewer children. But in those days, someone coming and say, why don't we try the less children game? That would have changed a lot of things in those days. So I think we are there today with material wealth. You know, I, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the state of Utah uh, in America. I don't know if you know, you're in France, so you're enjoying a wonderful country and wonderful baguettes and food, I should add. Um, the, uh, uh, but but they, they have a, a church cult here called the Mormons, and they, and they believe in the biggest families you can have. Uh, they, across America, they have one to two more children per family than most people in America. So they, these guys are breeding it in. Um, one thing I've always joked with my friends about, cause I didn't have children. I kind of wanted to skip the whole thing. I got a vasectomy at 22. And so I, I was like, when, when I decide to have children, I'll have children. I'm not going to have someone else decide it for me. Um, and so I just never had children. I reached an age where uh, everybody I dated, had been divorced and had children. And I'm like, okay, well, I already have children. I can be stepdad. But what was funny to me was 
I'll see these friends on social media and they have like, you know, some, some of three, four, five kids. And I don't mean the shame. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it, it, I think, you know, the part of it, you know, they need to contemplate what you discussed in your book, but I don't, you know, I don't sit around and go, you have three kids are bad. But what's funny is you'll see them talking about how we need to do more recycling and we need to do more uh, you know, we need to get rid of the straws at, at the coffee shop uh, because the straws are getting in the thing. We need to use less plastic. And by the way, I'm having my fourth kid. And you're like, hmm. And so I actually, I actually looked up at what each child gives America in contributions to our landfill and the cubic uh, tonnage that if you have a child, you increase the amount of landfill space by certain cubic tonnage basically i figured out the economy of it all and and so what i figured out is that basically if you have there's two people that that mate and have a child so that is a 50 percent increase to those two people's quotient footprint of cubic tonnage of pollution they put into the environment if you have two kids, now those two people have created 100% of their output and doubled it. And then those two kids will have at least probably two more kids and two more kids. And you start doing the thing, and pretty much you're breeding your own landfill at that point. Um, now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but if you're running around telling me that maybe I should use less straws and 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 maybe not have paper plates, but you're having another kid, maybe I'm not the problem. Uh, am I wrong there? You told me because you studied this. No, 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 no. You put it very, very nice. <laughs> no, I have, I have a kid. We have two kids. In fact, my wife had another one. So it's a great, it's a great <laughs> pleasure. No doubt about it. But I'm not against the kid. But I'm against overpopulation, definitely. And uh, and so. Yeah. Uh, and so I mean, I'm not against problem. kids either. But don't you know? Don't run around and tell me what I should be doing. Don't give me make sure yeah. you. No, I agree. You know this famous thing: if you have, if you don't have a kid. You you live like a dog. If you if you if you if you if you have kids, you live like a dog. If you don't have kids, you die like a dog. That's <laughs> that's probably that's where I'm it. going, bud. I've got two that's dogs. <laughs> I'm covered in hair. Yeah, I'm gonna yes. probably die like a dog. But I feel that you have, you know, a kid. I'll still be but happy. Kid, I don't want to be in the rank of. But but overpopulation is a problem. Obviously. But no, but it's thing, it's. it's I'm sorry. It's 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 just that one of those things. Like if you run around preaching to me about how don't have yeah. sex with whores, like you know reverends do and preachers do in America, and then we catch them having sex with whores, you're like, wait, you're not on message. So it's just it's just kind of that hypocrisy, if you will. Yeah, I see. No, I agree. It's a uh, uh, um, yeah. No, I mean, the there's a balance about- there. There's a balance there somewhere. There's a balance. The thing, you know, the thing about the world today is that the, the, the poor countries, the poor continents, are those where this Malthusian trap lasted longer because they failed to, to you know, to, to move out of this Malthusian trap, as I call it, that is this trap of having ever-growing population, even when you're very poor. And so all these group of countries, which are very poor, are also the most populated. Now, the great promise of, of the last 20, 30 years is that these very poor countries are getting richer, uh, not just China, Asia in general, some spots in, in Africa, hopefully. So these very poor c- 
countries are getting richer and they are the most populated because they are the one who stay the longest with this Malthusian loop somehow. So this is why for the next uh, 50 years, we have a problem collectively, which is that we want these people, of course, these populations, these continents to get richer, to escape poverty, but we certainly do not want them to become like Americans. We don't want them to have the same way of life as the American, because if they were to do that, then the planet would simply explode. So it's very urgent for us, you know, Western countries, the US, France, and Europe in general, to find an alternative way to be happy without having to, to spend all this wealth in, in things that pollute. Because we have all these group of countries who are looking at us, and it's just the same thing as keeping up with the drones. We are the drones, and these poor countries want to keep up with us. So there is a massive problem here, which makes it very important and urgent to find an alternative way in the rich world, if only because if there is this competition with the poorest countries, at least we'll go in the proper line. What about the problem of, like, religion? Because I know one of the problems that we had was Catholics, and I'm not bashing Catholics, but, I, you know, they did run around the world and, and tell, you know, tell countries, especially developing countries, you know, uh, don't use birth control, you know, having as many kids for God is important. And unfortunately, like you mentioned, that does contribute to the wealth and, and stuff. Um, you know, I, I've seen that here, as I mentioned, in Utah, where, uh, as a realtor, I would go into homes that had five to ten children in them, and the quality of life there was was not good. Uh, I used to want to put up a billboard that said, uh, "Maybe less quantity of kids and more quality well, of kids." Yeah, and and I can tell you from what I saw and what I went, I grew up with a family of four kids. Uh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I would have liked to have had less siblings. <laughs> I love my siblings, but. You know, I would have liked to have just have been me, but that's just me. <laughs> Are they listening to your show, your, your brother, sister? Uh, but, but you see, about the church, this is very important because, in effect, it is in the Bible. Somehow you should multiply uh, and, and have children. So it's, it comes from a higher authority. But, but the thing is that we, we now have a lot of, uh, you know, knowledge on, on what, what is happening uh, in countries where this demographic transition, as it is called, happened. And there is, in effect, uh, in Latin America, for instance, you know, a, a sort of fight between, you know, the, the religious uh, way of looking at things and the more mundane things. We have a lot of tests now which shows what it is that is driving, and you will like that, what it is that is driving children, women and, 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 and men to have less children. And it's very interesting. So you have a lot of tests as to whether the women work. When women work, of course, they have less time to have children. Is that a factor? Yes, it is a factor. Is education a factor? Yes, it is education, obviously, if only because you can aspire to work in, in the marketplace and earn more. So there's a lot of thing here. But the driving force, as I see it, is, is not that. The driving force is television. Hmm. Television. When television comes somewhere and you can see before and after, there's an image coming from TV, which is the American way of life, which persuades these couples and these women in particular that women can do other things than having children. 
that they can drive car, that they can work. And so this projection of, which, which is ironical in view of what we just said about Utah, but this projection of women in LA or New York, you know, being, you know, self-sufficient, uh, autonomous, and basically doing other things than simply taking care of the children. It has been shown econometrically with many ways that this is the way it works. For instance, Brazil, if you compare Brazil and Mexico, Brazil was the first one with the telenovelas, was the first one with a lot of TV expansion. And you could see in Brazil, everywhere TV would set in, in the 50s or in the 60s, you would see the thing, you know, you would see the thing happening. In Mexico, they tried a more, you know, direct way, which is to learn, teach the, the, the way of not, the, the, the many ways by which you could not have children, like, you know, uh, contraception or whatever. And it worked much less well. It, in fact, it was the winner of the race was television. So that means that it is also, it's not just an economic phenomenon, it's a cultural phenomenon. It, it's it's for, for women, even when they live in the countryside, when they don't work, where you have all the reason to believe that they will keep making children, the, the sheer fact that those images speak to them as an alternative change entirely. And so Brazil, which is a country where population has been multiplied by a huge factor, is, is you know, very suddenly in two or three decades, stop making children. Uh, and it's interesting to see that you spoke about religion. This happens everywhere independently of religion. For instance, mm. in Iran, which is a, a Muslim world, in Indonesia, which is a Muslim country, it went very fast as well, exactly subject to the same thing. So, so this is, for me, a, a lesson of, a message of hope. It means that, you know, mentality can evolve and, and things which, you know, happen for 10,000 years can change rapidly. So this is what I'm hoping for, the relationship that we have with money and, and material growth. So is it advertising and our media that, that, that is teaching people or it's giving them kind of a peer pressure of here's the Joneses, you need to keep up with them. It gives them that, it gives them that image of, in America, we'll, we'll call it the nuclear family where it's the perfect family that, that takes trips every, you know, two weeks on, on vacation. Uh, they have the picket fence and the beautiful house in the, in the suburbs. And, you know, and, in in a lot of our advertising portrays this image to people of this perfect nuclear life where everything is perfect. Is that what the driver is then? That, that, that is one driver. But if you go beyond that and you see in the U.S. itself, you know, what has been going on, there's a the nuclear family, is a nice suburban family where everybody, you know, would, uh, would meet, stay together, would go to church perhaps on, on Sundays. This is something that also has collapsed uh, with the rise of divorce, uh, uh, where, you know, every other couple, in fact, divorce. And, and this started in the 60s. And again, another study by a great sociological philosopher, professor of sociology at Harvard, Robert Putnam, demonstrated, I think, very clearly that the culprit is also television. That is, in the 60s, he claimed with the advent of television, the American family, which used to have a lot of community relationship, he, would have, he wrote a book calling, called Bowling Alone, uh, uh, which is that before you would go for bullying, but with friends, you would, you, you would take appointment, it would be club, you would cherish this community. Now you go on Saturday night bowling alone because it's been the collapse of this community. And it's very mechanical explanation is with television, you don't have to go out. Before you had to go out or you would get bored. 
you would have to organize a bridge club, a chess club. You would have to, to go to church to meet with people, to do something. With television in the 60s, 50s, but really it's a 60s phenomena, you don't have to go out. You open up your, your television and you, you, know, you have a lot of things to do. And this is the end, the beginning of the end of the way the American society, which was very tightly knit before, started to see a collapse of its communitarian sense. So that's something also which shows that it's a, in philosophy, you say that television is a pharmacon. It is also, it's a solution, it cures you, but it's also a disease. It's also a poison. And it, it saves you by killing you somehow. And, and, and that's something which is all the more interesting that we are moving into a different world today, which is post-television which is a world of, uh, you know, the social network and, and the internet. And that's creating new things that we have to understand as well. A new, what we call in America, we call it uh, FOMO, which stands for fear of missing, of missing out. out. And so you'll see people that are, they're, they're on vacation. And one of the problems with social media that we have is it's almost more insidious than television and advertising because you'll see people, they'll be like, they're on vacation, they're in another country, or they're, they're, you know, and you're like, what am I doing wrong? Somehow they're doing good. I didn't know they were doing good. You know, and for all you know, they're just visiting their family and their, and their parents paid for them to fly over and see them. Um, you know, we, we um, I, there's somebody who, who wrote that uh, 10,000 years from now when they extract our society and, and this era of, of the human race, in archaeology that they'll come across all of our pictures and like everyone's smiling and happy in all of our pictures, right? <laughs> you know, every picture we have on social media is like, I'm happy. Ah, oh, things are great. And you'd be like, wow, this is a really weird society. They're really happy. Um, turns out we were really unhappy and maybe that's why we're smiling more. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I, and we, we've talked about that a lot across the last 10 years of social media, the fear of missing out. And you see people having a good time. You get, you know, your girlfriend or wife comes to you or probably boyfriend and, and says, hey, you know, I saw Joni and Joni's out boating. We need to be boating. And you're like, why? Why? Because, um, you know, we got to keep up with the Joneses. And uh, and so uh, I think that's there. And like we've seen uh, Los Angeles, if you're familiar with Los Angeles, Los Angeles is a town where everything is about show and presence. Like I, I remember reading years ago, there were, there were people that would own a broken down Ferrari that would be parked somewhere and they would take people to it and show them and be like, here's my Ferrari. Or like one of the things they would do is they would rent a Ferrari for the, a day they had some sort of meeting and they would rent a suit, <laughs> you know, and they'd show up looking like a million bucks in their Ferrari and they've just rented it for the day. But, you know, it's all about projecting that image and, and everything else. Uh, I, and, Sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was and, saying, this is actually the thing about the social media, which is that they're taking us, you know, one step further beyond in the wrong direction. That's exactly for all the reasons that you described. That is, uh, keeping up with the children has been exploding by the fact that you always want to look good. You create an extraordinary pressure on the others to look as good and beautiful as you are, which is why, in fact, the media, you have two things, really. You have Facebook, where you really, or Instagram, where you really have to look good. And you have Twitter, where you can be dirty. And, and, and you have somehow, you know, the, the, the world in which you have to look super beautiful. 
And somehow in the anonymous content, you're really very dirty. So there is something, you know, in, in, the, psych, in the theory of psychoanalyst of Freud, you have the, the ego, the super ego, which is, you know, the way you should look, and the id, which is, you know, the, 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 the infamous desire that you hide, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde somehow. And, <laughs> and you see in the modern world, you have both of them. You have the super ego, which is the Facebook, the Instagram, where you get exhausted by trying to look as beautiful as you can. But you are also the fake news. You have the hidden content when you, people do not know that you are the one behind. And this is really dirty. There is something which I think I quote in the book, which I remember I quote in the book, which is an analysis of a, chi- of a Japanese uh, um, social network in which you are completely anonymous. Uh, so you enter with a fake name and you have a relationship with others. And, and of course, I don't speak Japanese, but the study that I read said that you would not recognize Japan in this world because it is so violent so dirty, so aggressive to people, like the opposite of what we are describing. You look dirty, you're not good, you're awful. <laughs> and we see that this, this social network uh, are, are really creating, you know, two opposite worlds, and we move from one to the other, and this is we, we're losing the sense of the intermediate step, which is, you know, the ego. Who am I? And uh, I'm, not, I'm nothing more than on, on the one hand, the super ego, and and, and the other hand, this, this vicious commentator, and and that's you know is another you know uh, a step towards the fragility of ourselves and of our modern society. So I'm not a, at all you know and, and against progress. I don't want you know your 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 viewers to believe that. I believe in technological progress. I like the internet. I like being able to speak with you. You know, uh, x thousand miles away from my home. So I like that. But but I see that it's creating a lot of problems and that we have to to control that. We have to be able simply to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, and what you speak to, um, one of the things that we've seen in social media is the anxiety from that FOMO. Like they're constantly checking their phones like every five minutes. What's going on? What's going on? Am I keeping up? Am I with the thing? And, and what's, Sean, what's Janie doing? What's Bob doing? And what's Mark doing? And, and, and uh, we see it a lot in social media. Um, when, I, when I started out in social media, I was, I was early on to it and I understood business and marketing. So I became one of these social media kind of leaders quote unquote. I was in the Forbes top fifty and different things. And some people would write me and they'd be and there would be this bit of jealousy and like, well, how do I get to be like you? And I'm like, well I worked really hard and I did this and and uh you know, there was a lot of work that went into it. And people would be like, well I just want to be like you. And we see that all the time now, especially in America, where people won't put in the work. They just want it. Uh you know, people see you drive a nice car or have some sort of level of success and they go, I want that. How do I get that? And I'm like, Well, uh work for eighty hours a week and uh you know, slave and save and get it get it done and then maybe after a year or two you might get it. And they're like, Nah, I want it now. And so we see this consumerism like you've talked about, but also this demand for getting it now. And you're just like uh, it seems to be there's this loss of earning things or developing things. I don't know if you, I don't know if you speak to that in your book. 
Yeah, of course. You know, it's 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 very much in the center of what what I said to describe the, the the world in which we are. Because all this tension, all this race, which was positive to the extent that it created a lot of invention, and we, we live in a world which is completely different from the world of fifty years ago, of hundred and not to mention two hundred years ago. So there's a lot of thing has been going on, and, and there, there is progress in that. So again, it would be ridiculous to deny it. The problem today is that we live in the midst of something that. The economies call another paradox. I had the Easterlin paradox, which is why is it that you can you can get happier by get, getting richer? And there is another one which is called the solo paradox. And the solo, by the name of of a professor at MIT who got the Nobel Prize for his work on economic growth. And the solo paradox is that you see a lot of stuff, a lot of new techniques, and the purchasing power of people is not rising, and certainly not for the middle class, yeah. the rich. First, but not the middle class. And that's a paradox. Why is it, you know, electricity a century ago brought a lot of wealth and a lot, a lot of purchasing power. People started to do many more things and get paid consequently. And here you have, you know, not, no wealth coming out for the, for the middle class and the lower class, uh, in part because there's been an, a huge increase in inequality that is the top 1% made, uh, made it, but the other 90% didn't make it. But it goes beyond that. There's, there's something which is disappointing with technological progress as of today. And so there are many explanations as to why this is happening, but one of them is in, in the midst exactly of what we are describing, which is that all these techniques, which allows us to enjoy you know, communication and what have you, in practice, uh, in, 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 in the workplace, simply boil down to putting more competitive pressure on the people. That is, all these techniques, in fact, is, you know, a reduction in the cost of communication. And it brought a lot of competition across people. In the old world of the 50s and 60s, you would work in a factory, you would produce a car. 90% of the car would be produced by that factory with little import, little outsourcing, little, you know, things coming from outside. And it would be like a big family. That is, you know, the CEO would be paid in a way which is aligned on the performances of the firm, just like the blue-collar worker. In the new world where we are, the CEOs, the engineers, they live in their own world with very little employees. The Facebook, the Google, do not hire many people. In fact, per amount of dollar produce, they have very few employees. And, and, and the blue collar, they, they, they work for companies which are very often the subcontractor of a subcontractor of a subcontractor to another firm. So that means when you are a subcontractor, it means that if you don't get the right price, I'll move to another one, which is not the way things were thought of before. So there's a, an immense amount of competitive pressure. And this pressure that you were describing on I want to look as good, keep up with the Jones, in fact, has been also a way of producing goods. You need to be as competitive as your neighbor. Otherwise, I will subcontract my task to the other guy. So one of the reasons why the middle class did not make it is because a lot of competitive pressure was put on the middle class, resulting into a huge increase of inequalities. And so that's the other you know, facet of the world in which we, we are. We have this perpetual thirst for growth, and it's not delivered anymore. And, mm. and, and instead, the, the price is always more expensive in terms of effort to get one extra dollar. So there's something completely broken 
not just in the U.S., in the Western world at large, which we need to fix. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that in America. I watched that. That's one of the reasons I didn't have kids is because I watched uh, the, the dissolving of the middle class that started in the 80s. <clears throat> And a lot of it started in the Ivan Bielski era of greed is good. Um, and that's when Wall Street really started ruling Main Street America and business in America and teaching people that, hey, if you get rid of 40,000 employees, your stock price goes up. And, hey, you can put all these different rules as a board of directors or management team that if you get bought out, you can leave with these golden parachutes. And that's where we saw the equation of, uh, like what you talked about prior to the prior to the eighties where the uh, percentage of what the CEO was paid was a healthy percentage compared to his frontline workers. Now the, 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 there's just this vast chasm of, of like the difference between what employees are paid. And I mean, you'll see companies that will run, uh, like recently, we saw a few large companies that that were run into the ground by their management. They filed bankruptcy. They laid off tens of thousands of employees, and somehow the bankruptcy court they go to the bankruptcy court and go, "Hey, we need uh, like five million for each of us uh, as bonus pay." And you're like, "Seriously, you ran this thing in the ground. You shouldn't, there shouldn't be any reward for you, actually." Um, and so we've seen a lot of this go on, and the, like you mentioned, the, this contracting thing, I mean, the American workers have been more and more thrown uh, to the wolves. Uh, what about debt? Because one of the things that people are doing with the, the economy that you know, we're describing here is they take on more debt to keep up with the Joneses, and so thereby they're even more poor and enslaved to a system of Wall Street that keeps you buying stuff to impress people that don't care about you. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the subprime crisis was really engineered exactly by this yeah. phenomena, which is that, that people, in order to keep up with the Jones, had to borrow more and more. In fact, it's an interesting phenomena that uh, the economists also notice, which is that the huge gap in equalities of income is not quite translated into inequalities of consumption because people lived on debt. You don't make as much as you could, but you borrow so as to keep up on consumption. So this discrepancy between inequalities of income and inequalities of consumption is a sign of the role played by debt. And of course, all this collapsed with the subprime crisis and the, and, and the rise of populism, the fact that people were really un, against the system, wanted to break it down. You had Trump in the US, you had the Brexit, uh, you have the Italian government for some time, the, the, the Salvini, which were really, you know, presented themselves as anti-system, anti the political party, against the media, against science somehow. All these people resulted into this, from this hatred that, that resulted from all the things that we said and of the financial crisis. There was something that people really protested against, which was the banking system, the, the amount of money that was put to save the bank, all this creating a huge protest uh, in Europe as much as in, uh, in the U.S., of course, the funny thing is today we are living into new and very dangerous times, but for something completely different, which is uh, this, uh, this COVID uh, disease. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's very interesting because what this COVID disease, uh, very surprisingly, is uh, amplifying the trend that we discussed with this media thing. That is almost by accident, but not, not quite, but almost by accident, what the COVID is doing is 
leading us to use even more of those media, to use this, this web, to use these uh, Zoom meetings, to, 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 to use Amazon to deliver the goods. And, and in fact, this new society with the, which is emerging, this digital society, somehow may be you know, accelerated by this COVID. And, 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 and one of the reasons why I see it is, is the following, is that everything has been done over the past 20 and 30 years to reduce the cost of functioning. And, and one of the costs which has been reduced is the cost it, it takes to meet in person. You, you know, you, you meet, you go to see a theater, you, you go there, you use space and you meet with other people. Uh, this is costly from the point of view of, of, of economics. And if you could not go there, uh, you know, as we do, I don't take a plane to meet with you. Or we just do that over this, this, this Zoom meeting. Uh, if instead of going to a shop, you know, you could dispense the shop from existing and you have the Amazon phenomena, which... <laughs> they directly deliver the thing. If instead of going to see a doctor, you could be cured at a distance from the doctor, all this would result into tremendous cost saving. Mm -hmm. And all this society over the past 20 or 30 years has been designed to reduce cost of interacting face to face. And, and this disease is accelerating that. That is, with this mm -hmm. disease, a lot of way of doing things at a distance, which for certain example is good. Again, you're sick, it's not very, you know, serious. You may not have to go and see the doctor because he can see, you know, what, with whatever you would give on the laptop that, you know, take an aspirin and come back in two days, it will be done. But the end result will be that there will be less and less face-to-face -face relationship. And so the, the TV thing, which we described, will be amplified. That is, our relationship <coughs> to the other people will be more and more on the screen with our doctor tomorrow, with our educators, and, and the day after with, with, with the people who sell us uh, this or that. So <coughs> we shall be you know, more and more trapped into a world where the fiction of ourselves will take over uh, whom we, we really are. Now, the last chapter in your book... Uh, chapter 17 uh, talks about social endogamy. Um, does that give us a roadmap on how to get out of this or ways to resolve this? So social endogamy is, is exactly the, the disease of, of, of the modern world and of these oh, network okay. things. Because basically, you know, social endogamy means you only meet people who think like you. Uh, you know, Going in a website where people will disagree. Now, I just, you know, there is something again that the economists call the confirmation bias. I want to meet with people who think like me. I, oh, I, okay. I, I'm tired of disagreeing with people. So, so I will go with sites who think like me and will be in sort of a bubble. And, and we, 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 you know, we are completely severing the link with the rest of the world because we think that if people believe that September 11 was, you know, a fake news, they will meet together and you will find a million people, which is you know, <laughs> peanuts compared to the 7 billion people. But you will find a million people thinking that September 11 was a fake event created by the Mossad or the CIA. I don't care. And they will yeah. be happy together and bringing things that nobody will contradict because they are among themselves. And so this, 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 this world in which you, 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 you sort of 
stay together, but in a way which is not healthy, because you stay together, you think the same, but there's, there's a lot of tension here, because you lose track with the rest of the world. This is unfortunately the acceleration of, of the thing that, that these social media are doing, and the COVID, I'm sure, you know, will result yeah. in people, you know, being among themselves on the net even more than before. If you don't have to go to the workplace because you can work at a distance, it means that you, you may meet nobody. <laughs> you know, you may meet nobody who thinks differently from you. You be with your kids, your, your friends on the social network, and, and who will contradict you? So you will live in bubbles which would be explosive in the end. Because again, we need to interact with other people. We need to contradict our arguments, to be contradicted and to contradict other people. This is democracy. This is the essence of the enlightenment. If we lose that, we lose a lot of things. And, and we, we see that with when people are miserable, when they're suffering, like you've talked about in the book, whether they're suffering economically or they're stuck at home. Uh, we've seen a complete rise during COVID of conspiracy theories, of nutball stuff. I mean, it's getting really out of control here in America if you're watching the TV. Um, and and it just this complete rise of conspiracy feelings because people are just miserable and they're broke. You know, a lot of people lost their jobs. So they're starting to subscribe to that. They're starting to subscribe to more populism and support of, you know, our crazy Trump dude. Uh and they're the the more it's, it's like the more broken desolate they are uh, both uh, internally and financially the more they want to hug these leaders who promise that they'll save them when really these leaders are behind their destruction um as we recently found out through bob woodward's thing uh the great book and and great discussion you've had here is there anything more we need to know about what's in your book well i think we've covered more, more or less all there the reasons the whole chapter on, on, on climate change, and, and because, again, I think we must take that very seriously. This is a problem of the 21st century, and, the, and all this discussion, in fact, is, is a way of addressing differently the, the problem of climate change by, by thinking deeply about ourselves and the way we, we construct this society. But, but thank you so much for, for thank all you the support. So discussion. Yeah. And it's a great book. You can take and get it. Uh, Daniel Cohen, The Infinite Desire for Growth. And it talks about all these different issues. I think this is real important because, like I said, I went through a consumer uh, kind of insecurity. Like there was some sort of emotional flaw in me where I was like, I got to go buy something this weekend. I know what this is about. Um, and I've seen it. I've seen the collapse of our thing. I've talked about it. This is one of the reasons I actually didn't have kids because I predicted that we were going to go into this, the storm that we are in. And I really didn't want to have kids in this thing. I, anybody else is a better person than I am that has kids, but, um, cause you know, have fun on that trooper, uh, scale, but, uh, uh, I'm going to sit and watch, uh, which is what I've been doing. And I've been seeing a lot of these things. And so I think it's, it's important for people to discuss the FOMO of the internet and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, give us your plugs once again, Daniel, or people can look you up on the interwebs. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, your website, uh, websites, people you oh, may want to oh, go oh. to for you. Well, uh, I, I think you just, Type my name and you and you you put it uh, the Paris School of Economics and, and you, you get you get to me. Uh, I don't have you know I don't have it in mind. There you go. There you go. So order the book up. You can also find it on shop 
or I'm sorry, amazon.com forward slash shop forward slash Chris Voss. There's a listing of all the books of all the people who have been on the show. We'll be adding it today. Uh, and you can order the book up there. You can, of course, search for uh, Daniel Cohen, The Infinite Desire for Growth on Amazon. You can see the video version of this on youtube.com forward slash Chris Voss. Hit that bell notification. And uh, uh, refer your friends, neighbors, relatives to thecvpn.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.